My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. After a week of will they, won't they arrest Donald Trump, questions are being asked about one man, Alvin Bragg. Here to explain to us exactly who this man is and why he's in the firing line is Marion McKeown, as always. Marion, Alvin Bragg, this is not his first run-in with Donald Trump, is it? No, indeed it isn't. Alvin Bragg is, he was elected, he replaced Cyrus Vance, who was the district attorney for Manhattan, which is the it's the law and order job. Like everybody has seen law and order where you have the cranky guy who decides who's prosecuted and who isn't. And then he sends the rest of them off out to, to do the work. That's the job that it is. It's a very powerful job. It's a very high profile job. And Alvin Bragg has been a prosecutor for quite a while. He also worked as a defense lawyer as well. But he, it was Alvin Bragg who brought the Trump Foundation case, which, my God, we've all forgotten about now. It yeah. seems so long ago. That was the Trump family charity, allegedly, which was basically a front for it. It was yet another classic Trump outfit where it donated nothing to charity. Trump used it to buy large, expensive portraits of himself, amongst other things, mm -hmm. to hang in places. And it, it, it did absolutely nothing for anyone except the Trump family, of course. So it was a sham. And Alvin Bragg prosecuted that case and had it closed down permanently. And the Trump children and Trump were banned from serving on the board of any other charity. And it was really embarrassing for them because in the context of New York High Society, now I know that sounds very antiquated and like something Edith Wharton would have said, but there is still that weird elite in New York. And I remember when I lived there, just knowing some people through people, I certainly wasn't part of it, who were involved in that. And charity was their big thing. They were all still about the almost the Victorian good works and the balls and the charities and the fundraisers. Mm. And it was for the library and the opera and all these things. And Ivanka Trump in particular wanted to be part of that group. She wanted to be an Upper East Side New Yorker, a socialite, somebody who was accepted by the New York elite sort of charity circuit. And this was part of the reason for the Trump Foundation, of course. Well, then it was set up and, and it was worse than doing nothing. Because everybody thought that the Trumps were brash crooks anyway in, in that society. They totally shunned them. And of course, then when it turned out that this was a complete scam, it just reinforced every prejudice and it was shut down, of course. And it was really embarrassing. It didn't harm Trump politically. I mean, what does? But, but it was Alvin Bragg who, who had that run in with the Trumps. And of course, he followed 
Cyrus Vance had had previous run-ins as well when he was the AG, but he he, he was, or the DI, I beg your pardon, he was criticised back in around, let me think, I think it was around 2012, because Ivanka Trump and Donald Trump Jr. were using some pretty sharp practices to try and sell apartments in the their building in Soho, which just weren't shifting. They, they had a, a big apartment block in Tribeca, and they, they oh, yes, simply allowed yeah. it. And they used all kinds of sharp practices, claiming that famous people were going to move in there. Look, the kind of thing probably a lot of state agents do in mm. New York and elsewhere. But um, it was decided that what they were doing was borderline criminal. It was pretty well fraudulent. And Cyrus Vance was pushed to bring the case and he was bringing it and then he just dropped it. And people said, oh, you went easy because it was the Trumps. You lost your nerve. You were afraid to take them on which I think was why he went after them, knowing that he was going to be resigning in 2020 and would be handing the ball over to somebody else to actually do the hard work. So that ball was indeed handed over to Alvin Bragg in 2020. Now, what's happened since is that Cyrus Vance had gotten, I think part of this 2018, had, had gotten Mark Pomerantz and a couple of other really high-profile investigators to investigate the Trump businesses. And this was on the back of what Michael Cohen had said when he testified before Congress about how Trump would inflate the value of his buildings and his business when he wanted loans, and he'd lower it when he was paying his taxes. And, you know, so anyway, this was Cyrus Vance decided, okay, we're going to look into this. He hired Mike Pomerantz and another guy, David Dunn, two really high-profile, top-notch, white-collar crime investigators in the, the New York District Attorney's Office. And they went through everything and they found that there was a compelling case to bring, that there was compelling evidence of criminal activity. So Cyrus Vance went, that's great. Thank you very much. I'm resigning. Now somebody else can go and do it. And that somebody else was, of course, Alvin Bragg. Alvin Bragg decided quite early on that there wasn't enough evidence to, in his view, or there wasn't enough for likelihood of a conviction, which is the decision that uh, DAs bring or decide not to bring cases on all the time, that he wasn't going to pursue this particular case. Now, Mark Pomerantz was so furious, he wrote a book, which came out about two months ago, and it excoriated Alvin Bragg for letting Trump off the hook and for not running with this case. It was kind of widely regarded that Bragg was bringing the Stormy Daniels hush money case then instead as a way of pushing back at his critics and saying, I'm not intimidated by Trump. And so he picked on this one instead that has caused so many headlines, so much speculation, so much of it inaccurate, wrong, misplaced, hysterical. We'll get to that, right? But yeah. I just want to get to Alvin Bragg here for a minute, because obviously there was two other entities in the Trump organization that he went after, and that was the uh, Trump Corporation and the Trump's yeah. Payroll Corp. And the company's financial officer, who we've talked about, Alan Weisenberg, charged him with tax fraud and uh, he goes to, yeah, he goes to prison. So this has all resulted in, you know, Trump supporters and Republicans saying this is politically motivated. And, you know, that can happen. Let's be honest, Marion, that can happen, that somebody can have political reasons for doing things. So where does this case, this the one you said, the Stormy Daniels hush money, where does it stack up? Because as far as I could see, the Cohen book and what happened with Cohen, like this has kind of been put to bed to an extent. Maybe I'm wrong on that, that no, this lawyer did a thing 
on behalf of Donald Trump, which he will never accept it was actually he who directed it. But surely that's that. And what is new in what Alvin Bragg is bringing that makes this a case? Have you examined it? Yeah. Now, I, I think just getting back to the other case I forgot to mention that was brought was about, was it a month ago or a bit more than a month ago? You lose track. The Trump organization was fined $1.6 million after it was, this is separate from Weisselberg, after it was found guilty of all kinds of, as he said, payroll, other fraud. And um, so that was another case that he brought mm. with, in the context of this one. It really, it depends on your perspective, I would say. I think this is a really tricky case. I'm not entirely sure why he has chosen to bring it, but it is not an illegitimate case. It's difficult. It's politically difficult as well. It's politically dangerous for him, but I don't think there are reasons not to bring it. Now, just to put it in context very, very quickly, Michael Cohen, back in some no, October 2016, the Access Hollywood tape had just come out with Donald Trump boasting about how he could grope women with impunity, he could do whatever he wanted. A couple of days later, they get a call from Stormy Daniels' lawyer, who at the time was a guy called Keith Davidson, a Californian guy. And the last thing Trump needed at this stage, after the Access Hollywood scandal and everybody being so shocked by what he had said on that tape, was a story breaking that he had had an affair with a porn actress, and that it wasn't just a one-night stand, that apparently it went on over about a year and a half and he was going to put her in The Apprentice and all kinds of things. There was also a second affair with a Playboy model, Cara McDougall, that had been buried in a catch-and-kill sort of deal by David Pecker, who is the owner of the National Enquirer. Now, the Stormy Daniels thing, basically, Trump could not afford it to come out before the election. Uh, so it was like sorted out, sorted out. And Michael Cohen was basically given the job of fixing it. So Michael Cohen went and after a lot of toing and froing, he gave Stormy Daniels, he paid her through her lawyer, $130,000 in hush money so that she wouldn't go to the papers. She had already been speaking to the Daily Beast. Apparently Fox News were, already, were also looking at it. And I believe ABC News as well. Now, um, so when she got that $130,000, literally in the final hours, almost before the election, she went away. Now, Michael Cohen then wanted to get the money back from Donald Trump. Michael Cohen had to take out a sort of a second mortgage, a credit line on his house to raise the $130,000. Trump claims he did all this himself. He never asked him to. Michael Cohen just took it upon himself to do this. It seems incredibly unlikely at best. But anyway, whether or not this was the case, Trump was having to pay him back. So Trump paid Michael Cohen back in, I think it was 11 checks for $35,000 each. Now, the reason it was substantially more than the 130 originally was he put it down as legal expenses, which meant he was saying that he was paying Michael Cohen this money for legal services. This meant Michael Cohen would have had to pay tax on this money. And that so Michael Cohen then had to get twice the amount, basically to make him hold so that he wouldn't end up out of pocket as a result. Now, the reason Trump didn't just write her a check was, as Michael Cohen said, because his signature was so distinctive, there was always the chance that she would then just get the check, go to the media and go, woohoo, look here, everybody, Donald Trump paid me off to stay quiet before the election. So there was all kinds of concerns about that. And it was decided that the safest way to do it was to do it in a way that Donald Trump's fingerprints could not be found on it in any way. 
So anyway, this is all sort of going along very nicely. And then in, I think it was January 2018, the Wall Street Journal ran a huge story saying that Stormy Daniels had been paid hush money. And within a couple of months of that, Michael Cohen initially did try to say that it was him and he was still trying to keep Donald Trump out of it, basically. And um, anyway, the FBI raided Michael Cohen's house in, I think it was around April the 9th or thereabouts, and his office, and they took a whole bunch of stuff, and including stuff to do with this hush money payments, because this would have been the reason they got involved was that it would have been a violation of campaign finance laws. Any individual can only give up to a maximum of $2,700 to any person's campaign unless you set up a super PAC. And then, of course, you can give whatever you want. You can give billions, but you can only mm. directly do this. So anyway, $130,000 would have been way in, in campaign violation. And it doesn't have to be a direct check. It can be something that you do that will help to influence the outcome of the election, you know, in, in some way. And this certainly would have qualified. So anyway, Michael Cohen at the FBI find that he's also done a couple of other dodgy things to do with tax evasion, all kinds of other things. And he, with head spinning speed, he is prosecuted and charged, et cetera, et cetera. And he eventually pleads, pleads guilty in August that year. So between April and August, this whole thing is wrapped up in a bow. The wheels of criminal justice never move that quickly. And there was a lot of speculation about Bill Barr, who was then the attorney general, the degree to which he was involved. Now, I'm going to tell a detail here because it is significant. At the time, Michael Cohen was panicking he got in touch with a lawyer called Robert Costello, who was very good friends with Rudy Giuliani. And he believed that he could, Robert Costello, because Michael Cohen thought at this stage, I'm going to prison. I need a pardon from Donald Trump. So he, Costello was friends with Giuliani. And of course, Giuliani had the hot wire to Trump and Michael Cohen could no longer get hold of Trump at this stage and found out on TV that he had been fired. So this loyalty he had for Trump was a strictly one-way street. So anyway, Costello sends a message saying, don't worry, you are loved here. Sleep well tonight, my friend. You have friends in high places. We're going to take care of you. Well, the up and the, the long and the short of that was Michael Cohen got a three-year prison sentence and no one took care of him. And in fact, Donald Trump then pretended that he practically didn't know him. And he, you know, he did mm. some little for him, et cetera, et cetera. He was a sad guy. He forced me to go to his son's bar mitzvah. So he painted him as this inept, tragic guy that he didn't really know. Not somebody yeah, who had... Straight from the Trump playbook. Yeah, exactly. completely how he handles these things. So yeah. can I ask... In, sure. Yeah, go ahead. In the sentencing document, I was just going to say, they. it was noted that Michael Cohen had acted on the direction of individual one. Now, everybody knew, and there was no secret made of the fact that individual one was Donald Trump. So the investigation and the prosecutors absolutely believe Michael Cohen's story, that he had done this for Donald Trump, that Donald Trump knew about it. Michael Cohen also had a tape of him talking to Donald Trump about buying back the Karen McDougal story from Michael Packer. And, and Trump, sounding like Tony Soprano, goes, yeah, you never know. He might get hit by a bus. You know, this was the way Trump spoke. So anyway, mm. we knew that Trump was involved in these sort of buybacks and hush money payments. So anyway, then individual one was Trump. So Cohen goes to prison and he does about a year and a half, etc. And Bill Barr tries to not let him come out, even when people are being released early because of COVID. So Cohen was understandably bitter, wrote the book, etc. But now it was found 
as I said, by the federal prosecutors, that individual one had directed this, that Cohen was basically the patsy. He would not have done this in his own but for Donald Trump. So there is a kind of a natural justice thing that says, well, why should Cohen pay the whole thing and why should Trump skate? When it was mm. he, he was the guy who had the affair. He was the guy who wanted the payoff. He was the guy who stood to benefit. Cohen didn't have any benefit. There was nothing in it for Cohen other than being Trump's fixer, you know, and in, in great. Sometimes fall guys take the fall, Marion. This is the it thing is like, that's why they're called fall guys. And if exactly. you've engineered it so well that your fall guy truly doesn't have a limb or a branch to grab onto on the way down, that's it. That's how it rolls. But clearly Alvin Bragg believes this is the reason he's taking this is that it's a slam dunk. In my opinion, maybe you can correct me on that. I don't he think he's that slam dunk. Um, I, I he doesn't. No, I think he's a smart lawyer. And I think, you know, honestly, Charlotte, for reasons that prosecutors really don't like to bring cases that they're not sure they're going to win, I am kind of surprised that he's bringing this. But I think for reasons of justice that, yes, it's fair to prosecute Trump for this. Now, Merrick Garland had the option when he became attorney general because it was a federal campaign finance scam to prosecute Trump. And he decided not to. The Federal Election Commission looked into it as well. But the Federal Election Commission, which is completely useless, there were two Republicans and two Democrats. on The two Republicans said, oh, Cohen's already paid for it. No, no need to go after Trump now. The two Democrats said, bullshit. Trump is the guy who set this whole thing up and who benefited from it. We should go after Trump, but it was two votes to two votes and nothing happened. So the whole thing, Trump got lucky once again, or so it seemed. So then Bragg, out of the blue almost, after Mark Pomerantz's book was published earlier this year, announces that he's going back, he's looking back into the whole Stormy Daniels thing. And then it starts moving very, very quickly. The grand jury is is put together they interview Cohen, and he meets prosecutors 20 times, and they interview all kinds of people. And up until this week, and um, where Donald Trump announced very dramatically over the weekend, I'm going to be indicted on Tuesday, I'm going to be arrested. Um, on the back of it, and this is typical Trump, just like after he lost the election in 2020, he raised over $250 million dollars a quarter of a billion dollars on a scam, on the foot of a lie that the election was stolen. So this time round, he said, send money, send money, et cetera, et cetera. I got seven or eight emails begging me for money to save him from going to prison. Um, and I didn't send him anything, unfortunately. <laughs> I, Not, I this time, Mary. Not this time, Mary. Not this time. But anyway, so um, he raised about one and a half million dollars in 24 hours. And once he made this announcement, he had no reason to believe he was going to be arrested on Tuesday. Nobody in the Department of Justice had said it to him. Nobody in the New York, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office had said it. There was speculation in media, you know, various outlets, that in, an indictment would be imminent because Michael Cohen had been in, Stormy Daniels had spoken via Zoom. Robert Costello had, was invited in, Trump was invited to speak before the grand jury. Of course he didn't. No smart lawyer would ever let their client testify before a grand jury that might be indicting them. So anyway, but it looks like, and it still does look like an indictment may be imminent. But this, we spoke about this last week, and a number of things do happen if you are indicted. You are fingerprinted. There is 
in New York, sometimes, not always, the perp walk where you're walked in front of journalists, which Trump apparently wants, if you can believe what the New York Times has reported. Uh, oh, and I you believe that, mug, yeah. You have your mug shot done, etc. Now, Trump saw this as a way of really, I think, rallying the base. Look, I'm being persecuted again. Look what they're doing to me. They're going after me. But getting back to the merits of the case, as I say, I think there's... Trump did falsify. There are two aspects to the case, and I'll try not to get too legally technical here. The first one is cut and dried. There's a charge, a misdemeanor charge, which is like a summary charge in an Irish court of falsifying business records. Bragg has already brought 120 of those cases in the last year. It's no big deal. You get up to a year in prison, and that's the beginning and end. You might get just a small fine and a slap on the wrist. It's a sliding scale. Now, the second part is the part that presents the problem. The falsifying of business records on its own is, as I say, a small, relatively small criminal offence. If you do it in furtherance of another crime, then it becomes a felony. I think it's an E-class felony, which says that the, the sentence is between one and four years in prison. Now, I assume a judge would have some discretion, but the statute seems to suggest that the minimum prison sentence is one year. Okay, and the maximum would be four. Now, what is the the bigger crime? What that Alvin Bragg is considering here? It seems that he's considering that Donald Trump falsified the business records to cover up a campaign finance violation. Now, this, yes, there's a lot of evidence that this is what happened, but this was a federal campaign finance. He wasn't running for mayor of New York. He was running for president of America. So the big question is, and it hasn't been tested, can, should Alvin Bragg actually even be bringing a case that involves a federal election violation. Does he have that right? It seems that the New York statute does contemplate the right to include in, in a separate election law that it has to, to allow New York State to prosecute for state or federal violations, but it's still by no means certain. Now, again, this is what we're assuming. It may be that Alvin Bragg is bringing the case for a different reason. He may, may have unearthed a different crime. It could be, one of the possibilities could be, and I'm just wildly guessing here, I've, I've nothing concrete to back this up, that Donald Trump, if he had, he paid Michael Cohen about $400,000 in total and it was put down as legal expenses, if he had tried to write that off for a tax, you know, to obtain a tax benefit, then that would be the bigger crime, that he used that to commit tax fraud. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened. It seems more likely that it is to do with campaign finance. But if it is, it could be pretty tricky to prove this. Just as I say, because it, there's no precedent for a case like this in New York. And generally, prosecutors don't run with such a highly charged, such a highly political case. They don't take it out on a, a pioneer voyage, basically. They would want to have had Priestland, that yes, you can get a conviction in this kind of case. And yes, that if it is appealed, it won't be overturned eventually by the Supreme Court or, or some other court. So I think he's taking a risk. I'm not sure why he's taking this risk, other than I think in the pursuit of justice, fine. You know, a president is not, or a former president certainly isn't above the law. If, if Bragg believes, believes he has enough evidence to convict him, well, it's his prerogative to do so as district attorney, but it does seem to me to be messy. It does seem to be complicated. Trump is calling on people to protest. So far, the protests have been pretty darn feeble. I think a lot of people saw what happened to the January 6th people. Trump, they, there's a thousand of them being prosecuted. Hundreds are in jail. 
Trump never helped them with their legal fees. He never tried to help them in any way. So I think people might be a little bit shy before they put themselves on the wrong side of the law on Trump's behalf. Yeah. But it could also be very explosive. We really don't know at this stage. There is a part of me that thinks that Alvin Bragg, and I'm going to just go out on a limb and say this, that this is going to backfire so spectacularly for both sides in that on Donald Trump's side, he's getting his martyrdom. He's getting his day in handcuffs where it's like the system's out to get me. This super woke progressive activist, woke tyrant is what he's calling him, has politicized the justice system. It's definitive proof for him. The system's out to get me. And if you feel like people are out to get you, I'm your guy. Now, from the Republican side, that's a lose-lose situation as well, oh, because yeah, they are—they really want him to shuffle off and stay in Mar-a-Lago and play golf forever. From a Democrat side, they're—you know—they. I mean, they—I don't know what this means for them, but it certainly steepens this divide between people that are on his side and think the system's fucked. And those that are, you know, believe that Joe Biden has another four years in him. What's your take on how spectacularly this could backfire? Like, while I'm all for justice and I'm all for the president's not above justice, is taking this case a good idea? That being said, I, you know, I like you, I feel that. Why should Trump skate if you can bring a case against him that's viable and that's provable? The problem is that can is this case actually a strong case? As I said, because of the various legal uncertainties, maybe we you see Alan Bragg has actually said very, very little, as is correct. A lot of the, the speculation and the frenzy and the sound and fury and heat and dust is all being created by the media and by Donald Trump. The process itself has been orderly. Now, Michael Cohen has very foolishly been running around on cable news and shooting his mouth off. If Michael Cohen is the only witness they've got, then Alvin Bragg is in trouble. However, I doubt very much that Michael Cohen, who, remember, was convicted of tax evasion, was convicted of campaign finance violations, and was convicted of perjury, or its equivalent when you lie to Congress. So he's not the world's most reliable witness. But then again, you could say in a lot of criminal cases, the witnesses are not altar boys. So I really, I hear exactly what you're saying. I think that for he won't, Donald Trump won't be put in handcuffs. They will try and do this with as much, with more discretion probably than he would like. But it will be a big day out for him, and he will milk it for all it's worth. But we don't know yet. Alvin Bragg may decide because at the end of the day, he has the ultimate discretion. He may think if Trump is indicted, as seems likely, he may think, well, you know what, I'm not going to bring this case actually. So then what was the point? Because he does mm. have the final decision on whether or not to actually go ahead fully fledged with a full prosecution and trial or to say, you know, the, the sort of code where that it's, it's not a good use of our resources and say we have bigger fish to fry, even though we might be able to convict this guy. So I don't know if he just wants to embarrass Trump and remind him. But people have said to me who know Alvin Bragg that he's actually not that political, that he's not like a Giuliani, that he's not somebody even like a Letitia James who is very politically savvy. Maybe he could do it being a little bit more politically savvy, 
but he's not regarded as a real political hound. He's regarded as somebody who's a bit of a bleeding heart liberal in some ways and is a bit of a tax the richer, but he's not somebody who would be as political like, a, you know, a Bill Barr, say. So mm. um, I, I really don't know. I think we have to give him for now the benefit of the doubt and see what happens next week or the week after. Because remember, let's say Trump is indicted later today or, you know, at some point or next week, it could then be several weeks before he's arraigned, before he actually comes to New York to be arraigned. It could be a year before any trial gets underway or gets started. And anything could happen in that period, as in Alvin Bragg might decide I'm not going to prosecute him, you know, whatever. Trump might even plead guilty in exchange for a slap on the wrist. We really don't know what the end game is going to be. But I think that What's happening at the moment is people are taking all this sound and fury and hysteria as fact. And Bragg has been discreet. He has said nothing. Robert Costello, who is Trump's lawyer, and that's the sting in the tail there. I mentioned Costello earlier saying to Cohen, oh, you are loved. We've got your back, etc. Sleep well. He came out after speaking to the grand jury and basically said, well, I threw a monkey in our, a, a spanner in that wrench. A wrench in um, the monkey. A wrench in the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it sounded painful anyway, whatever, whatever he did. And uh, so, and he then proceeded to say Michael Cohen was a liar, that he lied to me, and he told me that Trump knew nothing about it, et cetera, et cetera. So you now have Cohen's former lawyer, who is now Trump's lawyer, and is out there, you know, muddying up, dirtying up Cohen on Trump's behalf. You then have Joe Tacopino, who is Trump's new lawyer, who, as we said before, looks like he should be Tony Soprano's lawyer. And he was a couple of years ago on TV saying, oh, Trump's in really big trouble here. Trump's in really big trouble. Well, now he's Trump's lawyer and he's saying, this is a disgrace. This is a disgrace. The whole thing is a circus. It's a circus and it's hard to take it seriously. Yeah, I mean, I wonder. That's that's why I wonder, is it worth it? That's 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 what's, you know, you posted just recently that it looked as if, to all intents and purposes, that Trump was actually paying for the barriers suggests that there's going to be craziness on the streets. Um, and I just encouraged. looked, yeah, and then I looked to Georgia and uh, Fanny Willis and I think, can we not get our ducks in the row and have one person figure out what's the best way if we're going to well, do this? Well, will happen. Now, the fact, you see, I, again, and this this is something that I think a drum has been beaten here that that when you, when you quieten down the sound, the fact that, you know, what may happen is the case in the Trump, uh, the alleged theft of classified documents from the White House case, that indictment could come first. That indictment mm. could come before a New York indictment. And so indeed could the Fannie Willis one. We just don't know. And what will happen then? We've got four different criminal investigations into Trump at the moment. We've got, to my mind, one of the most serious and certainly the one that might be easiest to prove is the one that Fannie Willis is taking in Atlanta at great personal and professional risk to herself because she has received death threats. She now has the Republicans trying to get rid of her before she can ever even bring the case on some ridiculous trumped up law that they've literally just invented and are pushing onto the statute books. So, But Fannie Willis has the smoking gun. So her case centers around the fact that when Trump won, lost Georgia in 2020, he lost it by 11,779 votes. And after he lost, 
he he and Lindsey Graham and various other people rang up various election officials in Georgia and pressured them and pressured them not to count absentee ballots, to find other votes, to do this and that. And it culminated in on January 2nd, 2021, four days, I believe, before the January 6th riots, where Trump spoke to Brad Raffensperger, who was the, floor, the Georgia Secretary of State for an hour. In that conversation, he said, I just need to find another 11,780 yeah. votes, one more than Joe Biden had won the state by, basically. And he also, during the conversation, seemed said, oh, the people in Georgia are very angry. And then he seemed to threaten Raffensperger that he would be criminally investigated himself if he didn't do Trump's bidding. Now, that is coercion of an election official. Raffensperger taped the whole conversation it's there. It would be very hard to find, not to find Trump guilty in that situation. And that, I think it's about a three-year prison sentence for coercing an election official in Georgia. Now, to me, that is the strongest case, but it also seems that the case in, there are two cases that are being brought by, investigated by the special counsel, Jack Smith, at the moment. One is the alleged theft of classified documents that he took to Mar-a-Lago. The other is the degree to which he may have incited or did incite the January 6th riots and what his involvement was. Now, that could be a tricky one. The classified documents also seems to be pretty cut and dried, but I, it's unclear that he would get any kind of a custodial sentence for that, even though he did, you know, very clearly and very willfully intend to not return these documents. But what's happening now with that this week is that Jack Smith went to Beryl Howell, who was the judge in charge of this, and he wanted to... We all remember the jigs and the reels out of Mar-a-Lago about these documents. Trump said he didn't have them. Then he returned a few, said he had returned them all. Then the National Archives people came down again, and he said, oh, yeah, here's a few more, whatever. And eventually in July of... Gosh, I, I really am getting the dates mixed up. But anyway, his lawyers sent... A, a letter uh, to the FBI and the Department of Justice saying, we have no more documents. Everything has been handed over. It was at that point that it was decided to get a warrant because it was clear Trump wasn't. They knew that there were still really important classified documents missing and they knew at that point Trump was not intending to return them. So then you had the big raid in Trump on Mar-a-Lago and the outrage and Trump outraged and the Republicans outraged, etc., etc. And Merrick Garland was going to be impeached and all that. But now it, it turns out that letter was written by Evan Corcoran, one of Trump's other hapless lawyers. And he is now the lawyer that there has been a big legal victory for Jack Smith this week because Jack Smith wanted him to testify. And he was saying, no, 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 absolutely not. Lawyer client confidentiality. You can't make me tell you anything about what Trump said or did in connection with me writing this letter for him. Well, the judge decided, no, in fact, Donald Trump clearly was behaving in a criminal manner through his lawyer. Therefore, the client confidentiality sort of defense does not stand because you cannot use your lawyer to commit fraud or to commit a crime or to further the commission of a crime or a fraud. And so this was immediately appealed. And the Washington Circuit Court of Appeals said, yes, Judge Howell is absolutely right. You cannot claim that client confidentiality in this because there is criminal activity involved. And Jack Smith has established that. So that was a big blow for Trump and a big victory for Jack Smith. So this case is being prosecuted very in a very thorough, very but very uncompromising fashion. And it seems 
that this case is a, a bigger case in a lot of respects. The Fannie Willis case is also, so if they all return indictments, which is really possible and very possible, and it, it, what happens? I think at that stage, they all get on the phone to each other if they haven't already. And they probably say, listen, Melvin or Alvin, your case is fine, but we're not going to go with it first. So we're going to go with my case first because it's a federal case. It's more serious. It's, you know, it's election tampering or it's stealing classified documents. And I think that Alvin Bragg would be very happy in that case to take a back seat and say, okay, you know what? You guys have first crack of the whip because you don't want the first case against Trump, the first criminal case to end up in an acquittal. Because then he really can show that he's being prosecuted. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, personally, I think that phone call should take place a bit sooner. Um, because they were already <laughs> Again, we, we really don't know what's going we on. We don't know. Well, I feel like we need a break from all of this. We need mm -hmm. a little rest from talking Trump. And we'll do just that as we essentially go around the parishes in the States and we look at the various other stories that are hitting the headlines this week. Uh, you'll enjoy it. It's my favorite part of the show. And it's all available over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.